still got the whole world in his hands. So far in this series, we spent a week being reminded that pandemics and politics are nothing new, hardship and persecution, nothing new. We're reminded that in those things, however, God continually works for the good of human flourishing, even though it's not in the ways we think. Last week, we then took a moment to consider what we should do when circumstances sour. We looked at Paul's instructions to stop and reflect on God's goodness, grace and mercy, to allow those things to slowly permeate our thinking and, and feeling in the middle of the worst of life's circumstances. Then to reveal, uncover and unpack our deepest fears and desires to God and allow him to work through those with us. This week, it's a bit different because we also need to remember that we, you, me, everybody are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So when we say he still has the whole world in his hands, that's kind of us. St. Teresa of Avila, perhaps the greatest church teacher of the 1500s, wrote these words. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Every year, I believe it's important to set aside a Sunday to talk about the mission and vision of the Salvation Army and what exactly it is that we are trying to do in the world. And so it's handy that this topic came along because the Salvation Army always has been a pretty practical expression of God's work in the world. At our very core is a realization that God's desire for us is to work for justice, to alleviate hardship and difficulty as much as we can, and also to bring salvation to people. I was reminded this week of how William Booth talked about the mission of the Salvation Army. He said our mission is to be one of soup, soap, and salvation. William Booth recognized that it is difficult or even impossible to even talk about the love of God to people who are cold, hungry, and dying. He also said, you cannot warm the hearts of people with God's love if they have an empty stomach and cold feet. So for the rest of our time this morning, I want to talk for a few minutes about soup and soap. And then I want to talk for a few minutes about salvation and how it is we be the hands. If you were to come into our Salvos Connect Center during the week, you would find that we have shelves and shelves of soup. Fortunately, most with noodles in them. We have boxes and boxes of soaps and other smelling things. But of course, William Booth wasn't literally just talking about soup and soap. He, that just works for the alliteration, right? Soup and soap represent some of the ways in which we try and make life better for people. Some of the ways in which we try to alleviate hardship and injustice. As hands of Jesus, it is our calling to directly minister to the lives of people in the name of God. We do care about the hungry and hurt. Here in Wollongong, we operate one of the largest Salvos Connect centers in the whole country, where we seek to help people stuck in financial difficulties. We, we serve thousands of people at Christmas time with toys and food hampers. We also have here in Wollongong a whole program devoted to serving families in traumatic circumstances. In, in crisis, we have counselors and psychologists on staff who offer peer support programs, individual counseling, drug and alcohol treatment services, domestic violence recovery services, and homelessness services. In the wider Salvation Army in Australia, we serve as the hands of God by providing services for the aged, addicted, homeless, and abused. We serve as the hands of God by collecting, this is interesting, by collecting hundreds of millions of dollars from government, 
and members of our community and then distributing it to those affected by drought, flood and fire. For instance, since November 2019, just 12 months ago, the Salvation Army in Australia has given away over $70 million to over 20,000 families affected by drought in over 80 local government areas across our nation. These are just some of the ways in which we serve as the hands of God. There are not many areas of social injustice and and hardship where we are not actively and passionately seeking to live, love and fight alongside people. So that's soup and soap. That's how we directly address the circumstances of people's lives. But what about salvation? What about the spiritual mission? What about Jesus' final commands to his followers, where he tells them to go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you? As the hands of Jesus, we know pretty well how to offer soup, soap and those sorts of things. But how do we offer salvation? How do we make disciples? What do we do? My dad always taught me the first thing to do when trying to figure out a problem is to get to grips with the problem itself. What exactly are we trying to do when we are the hands of Jesus that offers salvation? What is the problem that Jesus needs people, that the people need Jesus to fix? Hunger is fixed by soup. Uncleanliness is fixed by soap. What exactly is fixed by salvation? Traditionally, the Christian church has boiled this problem down to seven deadly sins. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. I wonder how many of those have seen an increase over this COVID time. Lust. Reports are up. Reports show that pornography usage is up over this COVID season. Gluttony. I'm not sure. Maybe. Greed. Panic buying all the toilet paper in Woolies. Sloth. Well, lockdown has meant most people spend more of the time in their pyjamas than they ever have before. What about wrath, envy, and pride? Social media is up, so I presume so is envy and pride. I guess it really doesn't matter though, does it? Whether those things are increased or not, they are all part of human life and condition and experience. The interesting thing about this is though, that the Bible could narrow the problem down to to seven deadly sins, but we actually find that modern psychologists and the author of Genesis chapter three deconstruct the problem further down to a single emotion. Researchers call it the master emotion of all negative human experience. Shame. Shame. Shame is defined differently in different cultures around the world. So let me clarify with a definition from Brene Brown what I'm talking about. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. This shame... This master emotion of human negativity, this is the curse of sin, is about feeling condemned. It is the same emotion experienced by Adam and Eve. Something we've done, experienced or failed to do now condemns us to a life of disconnection and unworthiness. Disconnection from God and disconnection from other people. Unworthy of the attention of people, unworthy of the attention of God. It's like being in total lockdown inside your own heart and soul and mind. Miller and Stiver describe it like this. The most terrifying and destructive feeling that a person can experience is psychological isolation. This is not the same as being alone. It's feeling that one is locked out of the possibility of human connection and of being powerless to change the situation. 
In the extreme, they say, psychological isolation can lead to a sense of hopelessness and desperation. People will do almost anything to escape this combination of condemned isolation and powerlessness. That, that is the problem that we are called to hold as the hands of Jesus. Soup fixes hunger, soap fixes uncleanliness, and salvation fixes shame. But how? How does salvation fix shame? I think that's an important thing to discover. Well, for the answer to that, we turn to John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. They already believe they are condemned because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only son. See, Jesus died so that people wouldn't perish. To be more precise, Jesus died so that people would no longer feel condemned. Jesus died so that people would no longer feel shame. Jesus died to eradicate any reason that someone might have to think that they are unworthy of connection. Jesus died not just because people are worth it, but because he wanted people to know they are worth it. Did you hear me? I said, Jesus died not just because people are worth it, but because he wanted people to know they are worth it. True, true, true salvation comes when someone begins to realize that they are worthy of the love and attention of God. Salvation happens when someone starts to believe that God, however they understand God, loves them. Salvation occurs when people believe that despite anything they have done, anything they have experienced or anything they have failed to do, God of the universe says they are worthy of connection. So we, we can't meet together for worship on Sundays. But we can, we can still offer soup and soap through ministry here throughout the week. But the challenge is for each one of you to offer salvation. See, in all your reactions, in all your interactions, in all your conversations, in all your actions, make it your goal as a Christian, as a salvationist, to make someone feel that they are worthy. That they are valuable, that they are not a write-off, they are not the sum of their experiences, they are not condemned to a life of emptiness and isolation, they are not, they are of infinite value to you and to God. They are worthy of your time, they are worthy of your attention, they are worthy of your food, they are worthy of your effort and energy. They are worthy because that is how we communicate that God loves them. We want them to know. They are worthy of our attention and our help. Soup, soap, and salvation. Before we move on, though, I want to ask a very important question. What about you? Are you saved? Do you believe that you are worthy? <laughs> this time of year, I always say it. I believe the God of the universe made themselves into a tiny little helpless baby, born to an unwed mother in the shed at the back of nowhere in a war-torn, occupied Middle East. 
I believe this baby grew up to be the world's greatest teacher, miracle worker, prophet and priest. And I believe this baby demonstrated the love of God by dying on a cross for each and every person. I believe that this baby demonstrated the love of God by dying on a cross for you. Because nothing you've done, nothing you've experienced, nothing you've failed to do makes you unworthy of the love and attention and sacrifice of God. Do you believe me? That's the question. Let's pray. Lord God, we are reminded that you still have the whole world in your hands. We are reminded that you do care about our, our physical needs and our circumstances. And, and we, your followers, are called to address those needs as best we can with the resources we have, the energy we can muster. But Lord, we also realize that you hold the whole world in your hands by offering salvation by offering the antidote to the poison of shame that has cursed humanity since Adam and Eve. We thank you for that. And Lord, it is our prayer that everyone we meet, that everyone we interact with, be it family, friends, or the checkout person at Woolies, whoever it is, Lord, we pray that we would have the opportunity to share a smile, to share in some way that they are worthy of our attention, of our love, and of yours. May your salvation spread like fire throughout our lives and our communities, we pray, as we seek to be your hands. Amen.